The following is a CA original. Pouncer, the Palm Squad. Pre- and post-game parties on Beale Street. It's all part of the Memphis Tigers basketball game day experience. This is the Tiger Basketball Podcast. What's happening, Tiger basketball fans? We are back for a championship edition of the Tiger Basketball Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Munns, our Tiger basketball beat writer. Um, the Tigers are NIT champions, yeah. Jason. Uh, beat Mississippi State Sunday. Um, to cap off this season on a high note, um, they'll be one of four teams in the country who close their season with a win. It's Memphis, Pepperdine, who won the college basketball invitational this year. There was a CBI. Yes. There was a CBI tournament. There this was, year? and Pepperdine won it. All right. So they ended their season no with a win. And then, oddly enough, I, I believe um, was it Colorado State who won the third place game at the NIT. I believe that is correct. Well, one of them ended their season with a win, weirdly, because there was a third place game in the NIT. And no, Louisiana. Hey, breaking news: Louisiana Tech won by. Okay, two. there you go. So Louisiana, so Louisiana Tech ended their season with a win, and then obviously the national champion in the NCAA tournament will end their season uh, with a win. But um, what a way to what a way to end the year! It was a it was a really fun run the last two months of the season for Memphis. They end up, <clears throat> I believe, winning fourteen of their last seventeen games. Is that right? Or fifteen of their last eighteen? Uh, yeah, something like that. I, I it was fourteen of seventeen. They they were six and five, and they ended twenty and eight. Um, those three losses all came by uh, one field goal. I think it was yep. a and eight points, they lost those three games. Yeah. Um, and two of them were to a Houston team that just made four. So it's uh, a pretty remarkable two-month run by Memphis. And though <clears throat> obviously it was disappointing that they didn't make the NCAA tournament, um, this felt like as good as you could get in terms of the ending to the season aside from making the NCAA tournament, like going out and not just, not just winning the NIT, but clearly showing you were the best team in the field. Like, you know, especially in the semis and the finals, just convincing wins over Colorado state and Mississippi state. Um, And and the thing I was struck by Jason, you know, we can get in, we're going to get into the, you know, what this means for the future, what's going to happen this off season, potentially, Um, what this team could be next year, but as we move on in the podcast, but the thing I was struck by, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, as I said on this podcast last week, like I'm not someone who puts a ton of stock into the NIT. Like I think if Memphis is really good next year, uh, I'm not going to say it's because they won the NIT and just like if they were bad next year, I wouldn't have said it's because they lost in the NIT early if that had happened, but as a singular moment, um, I found Sunday to be really heartwarming. Like watching those players celebrate after what they've been through this season, seeing how happy Penny and the coaching staff were, seeing them all dancing in the locker room, the way they FaceTimed in Precious Achua, um, 
and 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 frankly, how happy the fans were. Like fans, the Memphis fans got to celebrate in March, and Memphis fans haven't gotten to celebrate in March in a long time. And it just with everything everyone's been through, whether it's Memphis fans, Memphis players, Memphis coaches, the the administration, like. It just felt like it felt like they deserved a moment like that. And so I really enjoyed watching them celebrate the airport scene, the scene at the practice. I just really enjoyed watching uh, Memphis celebrate this moment. And I I will say it did. I think it I think the whole experience um, really reflected well on Penny and the program he's building here. Um, You know, he talks a lot about you know, culture. And I think in that moment of that celebration, you could see, you know, he hasn't built it all the way to where he needs to build it, but you could see in that moment, he's built something, you know, something that's worth holding on to and, and savoring a little bit. And so um, that was my takeaway from Sunday that I was just happy to see everyone else really happy. Yeah. um, You know, Penny talked a lot in the uh, post game, in the post-game Zoom conference um, about how tough he's been on the team, uh, about mm. just how, how much he's um, really pushed these guys, how, how he's had to – how hard he's had to work to get these guys to, um, you know, uh, change who they are in a sense, to, to play more as a team, to not be as selfish. Um, one of his quotes uh, – there toward the end, he, he was talking about how he sees greatness in every kid on the team. And, uh, you know, th- that winning, winning something like this and, and in a sense, putting Memphis basketball back on the map, the quote is maybe they'll start to understand why I'm so tough on them. And uh, like sort of him acknowledging that and then see, and then, putting that up side by side against the celebratory scene afterward that went, that started at the final buzzer and, in, and, you know, probably maybe still hasn't ended um, for some of these guys. I mean, I, I was, I checked uh, Instagram last night and Damian ball was on with DJ Jeffries um, and they were laughing and having a good time. And uh, it, it's, you know, so it's still, there's still some really good vibes that, uh, everybody's feeling right now. And, and, and it was, it was nice to know that, you know, for, for Penny to come out and say how tough he's been on these players, on these coaches, on this entire uh, program and for them to be able to sort of take a deep breath and know that they off in some way, like yeah. they needed something, you know, like I, I wrote heading into the championship game, like, you know what, like, I know some people are going to are looking at what Houston's doing um and you know what memphis did and going man memphis should have been an nsa tournament and like ultimately like that's not how you determine who's an nsa tournament i still don't think memphis deserved to be in the nsa tournament they like they they didn't they didn't have the resume of a tournament team but they did deserve a reward for how they played at the end of the year because they played they had a heck of a run and um to see them get that payoff was was good like it was nice I just, they deserved it. Like they earned it. And then if we talk about it in pure basketball standpoint, from a basketball standpoint, I thought the NIT was the culmination of a lot of different things. You saw one, I mean, the defense was as ferocious as ever. I mean, they win that Boise state game basically solely because of their defense. 
when it comes down to it. And then against Colorado State, they were suffocating. And against Mississippi State, that early lead they jumped out to that ended up really feeling like it was the difference in the game, the start to the championship game. They hold Mississippi State without a field goal for like seven minutes to start the game. Uh, it looked like a football score there for a while, 13 nothing. Yeah. Um, and so you see, you saw that they took care of the ball in, in like the games in NIT. They took care of the ball better. It felt like in a four game stretch in NIT than they had in a four game stretch the entire season. Uh, I'm not sure if that's accurate, totally accurate, but it just felt that way. Um, they had a lot of low, they had several low turnover games. We can look it up here. Let me look it up real quick. Uh, okay. Their last, their last uh, seven games mm-hmm. went like this. Starting with starting with the regular season finale at Houston. Mm-hmm. These are the number of turnovers: twelve, okay, six, 16, 14, mm-hmm. 10, 14, 11, 12. So they're like right in there. They below, like it's not like you know it's not great necessarily. No. Double digit turnovers, but it's way below average. You know, like we said with Memphis, if they were just average at, you know, keeping, you know, holding on to the ball, like the offense would would improve exponentially. And that's what you saw. They were average at holding on to the ball. And then it high, you know, you saw in the Colorado State game, it was they, they were able to showcase where they're except where they're good on offense. Cause like I think there's a misconception that this team was a bad offensive team because it's efficiency numbers were low and I think it's more like they're a bad they were bad at taking care of the ball not necessarily and that's part of offense obviously but like as an outside shooting team this is the best outside shooting team Memphis has had in a long time and yes uh, especially during this two-month run they like figured it out on offense aside from throwing the ball away at times um, yes. and you saw it kind of come together down the stretch and then the third thing I would point out is in the Colorado State and the Mississippi State game, they went to a – it was almost like their version of Golden State's – the Golden State Warriors' old death lineup, they used to call it, or the murder lineup, whatever they said. Like, they went really small, and it was really effective. They went – they had – it was Boogie Ellis or Damian Baugh, and then um, Lester Quinones, um, Landers Nolly, DeAndre Williams, and then DJ Jeffries was playing the five. And he had five blocks in the Mississippi State game. Played an awesome second half. Yeah. Um, Boogie played a great game. You saw Boogie, you know, that, you know, you saw that that game Boogie had in the championship game felt like the culmination of his sort of momentum that he built over the course of the end of the year. Um, You saw Landers hit some big shots throughout. Um, DeAndre was the same sort of emotional force, blunt force, I'd say at times, you know, like for this team. It just, there were a lot of things even on the basketball court in the games that you saw come to fruition um, and saw sort of just come together really well um, in, in a way um, that, you know, not necessarily that it hadn't, but it just felt like it felt like over these 17 games, they kept building and building and building and they kept doing it in NIT. And it was really, really, I came away just, it was a really, really impressive four games for the program. Um, it showcased what they are. It showcased what they can be. It showcased what Penny is right now and what he can be as a coach. Um, just, just a really, I, I just thought a really great, uh, again, great moment for the program. 
um, to, yeah. to, be able to, to accomplish that. Yeah. It was just one of those deals where you, you know, if you're in their shoes, they probably wish they were still playing because they, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they really, really, really found a, 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 a nice groove. Um, and it seemed like everybody was in it. You know, Damian Ball was playing better than he ever had, than he had all season. Um, DJ had sort of rebounded to the point, like there, there for a while, the best stretch of games that DJ Jeffries played this season was against central Arkansas, Arkansas state and Mississippi Valley state. Um, you know, he'd have a game or two in conference that were, that was, you know, nice. Um, but he hadn't yet had that like two, three week stretch where he was just where he, you could count on him for 10 to 12 points and, you know, five to seven rebounds and that sort of thing. Um, but he did that. And then obviously what Boogie did, um, yeah, it was just, it was, they, they looked, you know, like a team that, that had figured it out and, uh, it was, it was just, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch them, um, to, to watch them do that and to, to see it pay off. That was, that was nice. Yeah. And, and they finished, they end up finishing. Well, it remains to totally be seen, but as of right now, they're number one in Ken Palm in adjusted defensive efficiency um, and their rating of 86.2. If I'm not mistaken, since 2015, there's only six teams period that have had a better adjusted efficiency rating on defense than Memphis um, has this year. That's pretty so, good. Um, yeah. And I think if you go back, I haven't, I haven't cal- let's see if I can calculate it more back to 2010. Well, while um, you're doing that, I will, uh, I will go back and point it's out It's nine since 2013 or there's three in 2013 that have better. So you could go six since 2014 um, have had uh, only six teams have had a better adjusted defensive efficiency rating than Memphis had uh, this year in Ken Palm. And then um, they're up to number 31 in Ken Palm right yeah. now. They were at 30. I think they moved down a slot after yesterday's elite eight games. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, but they had been around 39, the best. I think. Yeah. I mean, they're 31 right now. Yeah. Um, after then I run and I mean the period point blank, it's the best Memphis team in at least seven years. Okay. Right. right. And you argue, I mean, I was, I, I covered those, those last two tournament teams that Josh Pastner had in 2013, 14. I'm still going to like, I'm of the belief that any team, you know, like ultimately I'd rather, and maybe some people agree with me, but ultimately I'd rather lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament than win the NIT. That's how I feel. But I think others disagree with me. Um, And I will say this, you probably, you know, like there's been a comparison made between Tennessee. Who would you rather be today? A Tennessee fan, basketball fan or a Memphis basketball fan? Tennessee has this up and down year where they start fast, but finish really rocky, get a five seed in the NCAA tournament and then lose their first NCAA tournament game. Whereas you got Memphis is the opposite. They get off to a rocky start, fall just short of the NCAA tournament, but then end the year with an NIT title. I personally would still rather be in Tennessee's position, but I can totally understand the argument because I certainly think, if you asked Memphis fans and asked Tennessee fans who's happier today, 
I'm guessing it's Memphis fans. Um, but you know, like, he, he, and so that, that, that to me speaks to the power of what, what they accomplished, uh, over the week. I wonder, yeah. Fans. I wonder if that, qu- let's, let's answer that. Qu- let's revisit this question in December. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's see if Tennessee, I mean, it's, there's, it's, it's a very nuanced discussion. Look, the, re- the reality is like, like this whole concept of the NIT creates momentum for next year. Sometimes, but sometimes it doesn't. Like the last two NIT champions before Memphis, Texas and Penn State, did not make the NCAA tournament the following year. Now, Texas, you know, yeah, Texas didn't make it in 2019. And then Penn State, I'm not even counting 2020 because obviously there was no NCAA tournament, but Penn State didn't win it, didn't make the tournament this year. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, it could be like the 2002 NIT championship where Memphis wins it. And then literally that kickstarted pretty much the, the, the greatest stretch, like multi-year stretch of Memphis basketball ever. It could be, it, we could be on, we could be on the precipice of that. Right. But this also could be total. you know, this also could be totally irrelevant by the time we reach January next year. I'll tell you this. I have a feeling if if it does turn out that Memphis goes um, on a on a has a has a really nice uh, string of years after this mm-hmm. after this season, Penny Hardaway is going to he's gonna he's gonna point back to this as like yeah. you know what I mean like he's he, we we'll be three years down the line and he's still gonna be pointing back to this. I guarantee it. Well, and and the key to that though is, and this is, we, you know, this is inevitable. We have to talk about it. Like, I think the key is to whether this is actually like a foundational moment for the program is how many of these guys come back. You right. know, the whole team return. Now, that's a misconception because, from what I can gather, the entire team literally can't return unless one of these four recruits from their recruiting class doesn't end up coming. Because right now. I believe they have 10 guys on like, – I think someone would have to come off scholarship, like Jaden Hardaway or something, because um, right now, if they add the four recruits and return everyone, they're one over the NCAA scholarship one. So someone's going to have to leave, I think. Um, but I think the reality is the whole team's not going to return because, frankly, the entire team of every team in the country is not going to return this year probably. Um, yeah. given the, the portal situation nationally. The, the, the question is, are you able to keep the main pieces or how many of the main pieces are you able to keep uh, on board? And that's going to be um, Penny's challenge. Um, and, and to a certain extent, like I think that, that I've always been of the belief, I said this last week, I've been saying it repeatedly, like I just don't think the NIT is going to change someone's decision. You know, like just them winning NIT. Like, I think it's just a great singular moment. I think what's going to be is what's going to be. Um, and I, you know, Jason, you're you're more in tune with the kind of the specific uh, decision making process going on here, player by player. And I want I want to have you talk about that in a second. But I would just say here here's my prediction for people. It's not going to be everyone's not going to leave. There's no, like, I just don't believe that's no. going to happen. And, 
And I don't think everyone's going to come back. I don't think every key player is going to come back, unfortunately. Right. But I do think, and I do believe enough key players are going to come back. And then Penny's going to, you know, you got the recruit, a top five recruiting class coming in. Plus then Penny's going to add some strategic uh, transfers. I think when all said and done and the dust settles, you're going to feel pretty good about where the roster's at. That's my sense. I think I, th- that's my sense about the situation. I don't know who's going to be on it exactly and, and, and what whatnot, but I, I, I just believe based partly on reporting, but partly on just my gut that like when, when preseason practice starts next, next fall, you're going to go, we feel pretty good about this roster. Um, that, that's my, that's my sense, if you will. Um, and I would say this, I don't think if you put, if you put truth serum and Benny, I don't think he wants everyone to come back. I think he wants to add some different pieces to the mix. Um, you know, like I don't, he's not going to say that publicly and I don't think he's going to necessarily force someone to leave the program, but I think, and I think you can tell from some of the stuff he's done on the recruiting trail the last couple of weeks that he's expecting guys to leave. Like he's going out and recruiting kids already. Um, and we haven't even heard any transfer portal announced. So um, that's what I would say. Like, don't get upset when people are talking about who might leave and who might not leave. People are going to leave. People are going to leave every school in the country this year. Yeah. Um, and I, I, like I said, I just have, I think you should have faith that Penny's going to have this roster in a good spot when the dust settles, whatever that looks like. I don't know exactly. And Jason, you can speak to that. I guess, how would you describe the situation right now in terms of the decision-making process for these players? Who do you feel I don't know, good about, I don't know if you want to get into specifics of who you feel good about, who, who's cloudy, who you don't feel good about coming back, but how would you describe the situation right now with the, with the roster moving forward? I think as we sit here on Tuesday, March 30th, um, people, I will say people feel better about uh, just overall, people, about the overall, like the whole group. Uh, people feel better about where they are with the majority of the roster than they did say a week and a half, two weeks ago. Really? Um, what, yeah. What's the change? Is it the NIT? Well, I mean, yes, they're, they're still sort of in that honeymoon phase uh, that we talked about before where, where everybody's feeling good. Um, the, the uh, run it back discussion is on the tip of some people's tongues. Mm-hmm. Um I, I, you know, I've talked to some people who are close to some of the players um, who have said just that, that, that they feel like if, if they're able to run it back, meaning if they're able to get, you know, the majority of the key contributors, uh, if they're able to get the the majority of the key contributors uh, to come back for another year, that, you know, that they feel really good about, uh, where, you know, the direction the program is headed. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I would say I, I've written about this already at, at commercialpeel.com and I feel like the most certain people, like the most, the, the guys that are the most likely to return, um, Alex Lomax, Jaden Hardaway, and Lester Quinones, I, I, the, the, the consensus is that those three guys um, are, are the most likely to come back. 
Uh, I asked Alex Lomax um, after the game the other day, after this, uh, the championship game, about his um, his you know approach to this off season, and he said, "Really, uh, you know, I, I want to celebrate with my teammates right now, but I also want to focus on getting my ankle better." Um, and, and, and then going from there, uh, I, I did not sense at all from the way he talked, uh, in, in the interview that he, uh, is, is thinking in any way, shape or form about leaving. And that's not a surprise. So, um, the, the ones that, you know, I would say people feel like as far as guys who, who, who are most likely to leave, uh, you know, Damian Ball and Malcolm Dandridge are sort of in that camp, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they, that they're going to leave uh, at, at all. That, 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 that just means that of the guy, like relative to everyone else on the team, mm-hmm. they are sort of the most likely um, mm-hmm. candidates, the most likely candidates yeah. to, to leave uh, the, the ones that are really sort of, either 50, 50 or 60, 40 or 40, 60. That's the interesting group to me. That's, that's the Boogie Ellis, DJ Jeffries, Musa Cisse, Deandre Williams and Landers Nolly. Those are the ones that, that sort of are on the fence could go either way. Um, as we sit here again on March 30th, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get the sense that Landers Nolly, whereas I would say two weeks ago, the thought was, he was possibly, you know, he was leaning toward leaving. I get the sense after some conversations that I had with people yesterday uh, on March 29th, that if he isn't, if he does, like if he submits his, um, uh, if he submits his, if he tests he the draft, the, if he goes through part of the NBA draft process, Right, right. If he does that and he doesn't get good feedback, like if they don't come back and say, you've got, you know, a a legitimate chance to be drafted this year. Mm -hmm. The impression that I get is that he'll be back. And I think because I've always wondered with Landers, because the reason we're seeing all of these transfers is because of the expectation that at this one time transfer waiver is going to be this new rule is going to be put in place by the NCAA but Landers already transferred once. So I don't think he's eligible unless he's a grad transfer. I'm not sure he's eligible to transfer without sitting out of you because we'll have to get, yeah, we'll have to get some clarification on that because the, the proposed legislation is reportedly going to be voted on in April. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. He transferred once, but that was before this official legislation you know what gotcha. i mean yeah so maybe yeah you might be right maybe there's an exception made for you know as start it doesn't the clock the clock if you will doesn't start till the rule goes into place yeah yeah, yeah. have to get who knows the ncaa i mean that rule is still not in place it would be some, quite something if the ncaa pushes kicks the can down the road and right now on march 30th there's more than a thousand names in the transfer portal there's already more names in the transfer portal now than there were all of last year. And like, that's crazy. Cause like, there's a lot of, you know, like players don't, you know, like Memphis players or whatever teams and then say turn like not every, we're going to end up with probably over 1500 transfers in the transfer portal would be my guess. Well, you know what I read um, apparently uh, under the proposed uh, legislation that is supposedly going to be voted on in April, 
uh, along with that is going to be a deadline for players to enter the transfer portal. Well, that would be good. I think that would be good uh, for the co- for for teams for fans. So, like, yeah, I think that's actually a good yeah. caveat. Yeah. To have. Like, you know, so teams can plan their rosters and plan their teams out. And better. it's and it's a quick it's a it's a quick turnaround. It's May first for teams for teams that aren't going through a coaching change and for players whose scholarships uh if if your scholarship is not being renewed and if your team has had a head coaching change then you have till July 1st but if you're just if you if your team hasn't had a coaching change and your scholarship if you still have a scholarship then May 1st is the deadline so that's going to be a sort of a quick turnaround if that all goes through in April interesting well yeah. It'll be it'll be an interesting ride here the next few weeks. It feels like hopefully, like I said, I have faith that when the dust settles, I don't know exactly who's going to be on the roster, but I have a feeling Memphis fans are going to feel happy about what the roster looks like moving forward. I, I just believe, I believe Penny's going to convince enough guys to come back, and he's also going to bring in. You know, we've seen every year he's brought in some quality pieces off the recruiting trail, whether it's via transfer or uh, just regular, you know, bringing in a new freshman. Um, that's something Penny's never had any issues with, um, is, is Cruton. Um, so um, it, I'll be fascinated to see how the next few weeks uh, play out. Jason, you'll have tons of coverage over at commercialpeel.com as this all plays out. Um, we'll join you periodically, I think, during the offseason, um, probably when big stuff happens. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep doing podcasts because, uh, there's a lot of interest and there's just a, you know, a lot, in a lot of ways, college, you know, much like the NBA where like the off season has become almost as big as the, as the regular season in a lot of ways, like the, the drama off the court almost supersedes the games in the NBA. And, you know, um, it feels like college basketball, I hate to say it, is trending that way too uh, with the transfer portal and everything. Like it's, it's free agency. Um, so there, there are promises to be, um, I think, some, uh, some headlines for, for Memphis basketball. Some really good, like you're keeping guys and you're bringing in these big-time transfers, and probably some, you know, where you'll be like, oh, man, you know, because someone decided to leave. But – I think when all, like I said, when all said and done, I think it'll balance out, and I think Memphis will be in a pretty good spot heading into next year as the reigning NIT champions. Um, you should so, say we, we should point. I should point out. Um, you said there was four teams that uh, ended the season on a win. Technically, mm-hmm. uh, Duke ended the season on a win. Oh. Yeah. There, there's there, yeah, there's a few Good more teams. Point. Oh, yeah, no, VCU didn't. Well, didn't Duke lose in they, they didn't lose in the ACC tournament? No, their last uh here, let wow. me go they beat Louisville, I think. Look, Coach K playing chess, not checkers. That's right. Yeah. And I <laughs> yeah, yeah, they beat they beat Louisville on March 10th, and that was their last game. So oh man, good for them. They like yeah. they need they needed that, huh? Okay. <laughs> um, all right, well. That'll wrap things up for this Tiger Basketball Podcast. Um, we will join you soon whenever there's big news that happens with Memphis basketball. But till, till next time, I was Mark. I was joined by Jason. Thank you so much. 
enjoy the off season and savor this NIT title. It was, it was really a special moment. The Tiger Basketball Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.